The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. This is Joyce Bender, and I want to extend a special welcome to all of my special guests that have been sending me notes and cards. I love all of you, and thank you for what you're doing to help increase quality of life for Americans with disabilities. So I am very excited about our guest today. Um, he is an author. He is, I call him, uh, social media guru, but he is the CEO of Human Business Works, author of Impact Equation, a New York Times bestselling author. Welcome to the show, Chris Brogan. So thrilled to be here. Thanks for having oh. me. Oh, well, we're thrilled to have you. Maybe you could start for our listeners across the country, Chris, by telling them what Human Business Works is. Sure. Well, we're a company that uh, puts together courses and other information. We're sort of a publishing and media company. We're helping people mostly in the ages of 35 to 75 figure out what they're going to be when they grow up because there's a lot of things that have changed in the world. A lot of people have... Uh, skills and education and degrees from a different time before the digital space seemed to matter so much. So not everything we do is focused on the digital world, but it kind of nods to that to make sure that people have the opportunity to uh, do business in a way that will be very helpful for them. So if a company would contact you, what, what would you be doing? Well, before what I used to do uh, when I was consulting with bigger companies, I did a lot of work with uh, Coca-Cola and Pepsi and uh, Titleist Golf and a lot of names that you know. And before what I would do is I would consult with them on how to develop marketing sales and uh, support and service channels into this digital space. Now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm providing courses for individuals. So you can swing by humanbusinessworks.com and something catches your fancy, you can buy it. So for instance, there's a course on how to write your book because it turns out everyone seems to want to write a book, starts the process many times, and then falls down. So I have all the different steps on what it'll take to get that done and also a lot of insight in how the publishing world works now that I've done it both with mainstream and also self-publishing. And So that's one. Another one we do is called Work Like You're on Vacation, which helps people do a much better job at managing their priorities and better understanding how they could use their time. And so a lot of what we've done is just really anything we can think of that is going to help somebody uh, do the work they want only better. And where do they go again to obtain this information? Humanbusinessworks.com is probably the easiest. Humanbusinessworks.com. Well, sounds very good to me. I know that I've had a lot of people contact me just about the one thing you talked about, writing a book. You know how you meet people and forever they're saying, I'm going to write a book, but they never get to write a book? And it seems that it's the steps it takes to get all of it going. So it seems to me that would be, uh, you know, very helpful. 
Well, Chris, you have co-authored a book with Julian Smith called Trust Agents, which was extremely successful. And my neighbor, Brendan Schneider, who's like a big, you know, groupie fan of yours, first told us about you in the book. So why did you write the book? Why did you write The Impact Equation? Oh, so trust agents we wrote because we had come up with the idea that there was a way that people inside of companies could rehumanize the various brands inside of companies. The impact equation we wrote a few years later because we realized that um, the advice that we'd given people really wasn't heated the way we thought it could have been. And so we showed people maybe how could you find a way to rise above noise and clutter because so many people have flocked to some version of web-based uh, business doing. And so they they say, well, I've got a website and I got on that Facebook you told me to get on and nothing happened. Now what? So it's not really a book about social media. It's a book about how do you make your ideas seen and heard and how do you get a little bit more attention for them from people who actually care about them as opposed to just an, an old-fashioned audience. Yeah, well, we have a question for you from Jan in Houston, Texas. And the question is, Chris, uh, I really love what you do. I've read your books. My question is, do you go across the country speaking? And if so, how could we find out? Oh, sure I do. Um, probably the easiest way is go to chrisbrogan.com slash connect to see a sense of my speaking career. I've done... Oh my gosh, I'm probably closing in on about a thousand keynote speeches now. Um, I've gone all over the world. I was just most recently, I think, was Abu Dhabi, and then right before that would have been Dallas. And so, I've been right in your neighborhood, Jan, um, or you know, down the down the state a little ways. Um, the speaking has been a lot of fun for me. I did a lot of it uh, early on. I did in like 2009, for instance, I did about 106 speeches. Um, but that's a lot of airplane time and that's a lot of time away from my two little kids. And so I've been cutting back over the years. And this year, I would say partly through my own doing and just partly because I think the dynamics of keynote events has changed a lot. I'm not doing as much speaking in person. Uh, but I am. I, I've just started some events. For instance, I've got an event called Impact Next that I'm rolling across uh, mostly this country and then a little bit in Canada and Europe. Uh, my first one of those will be in New York City at the very end of March. So it should be kind of fun. And what will you be doing there? So on the Impact Next event, we have three three segments to it. One is about how to understand content marketing, and uh, that's everything to do with you know creating content for buyers and people to pay attention to your business. The other we're doing is digital presence mastery, like how do you build out your online presence to make it worthwhile for business. And then at night we're doing an evening with Chris Brogan and Julian Smith where we actually just talk about things in the impact equation and talk about how to get more impact in business. So it's a it's kind of a very full day. It starts at 8 a.m. Uh, for registration, and it doesn't really end until 9 p.m. Uh, with a few breaks in there for meals and the like. Okay, well, I have another question for you from a TED in Kansas City. The question is, I'm curious to know how hard is it for you to change old ways of thinking when you deal with corporations? Oh, my goodness. Uh so it's interesting. That, that's a really good question, a really poignant question, because when I walk into, uh, for instance, uh, a pretty good sized healthcare company and I talk to their entire senior team, I'm there because someone on the senior team, and it's always somebody different, it's not always the CEO, has told me, well, 
this stuff is really important and we need to understand it. Whenever they say this stuff, all they've really heard is that there's this thing called Twitter or Facebook or something. And we need to get some people in here because I read an article in Forbes that said we should. And a lot of times I'm sort of the first contact right after those moments. What I then go back and try to explain is that a lot of this is very old fashioned. It's just new tools to do it. A hundred years ago, if I were standing in their office, I'd be saying, you need to get a phone. Phones are amazing. You can call people and ask them to buy things in your underpants and no one would even know. And I try to really importantly explain that these, these tools are shiny but their intent is really old school, which is how do I connect with somebody in a genuine way? How do I show them the potential of uh, uh, our business dealings with each other? And how do I manage this new technology into my existing platform? And so it doesn't always work that way. It does not always work simply uh, because companies sometimes have some very strange and and stringent policies and, and never the ones you think, by the way. It turns out healthcare companies are sometimes easier to deal with than entertainment companies, but it's magic for me. Yeah, I would not think that. That's very interesting. Uh, but I do understand that question, and that I'm sure that's something that you you explained that very well, by the way. I can just imagine you going in and someone saying, okay, I know we need to use Twitter, so what do we need to do? Because I well, hear people say that to me. We need to start oh. using Twitter and Facebook. And what they mean by that um, is just using Twitter and Facebook, but that's about what it means. Right. I mean, that's really all they've invited you to do is you should show up now. And that's it. That's all they've gone and done is say, go to that party and then things will be magical. And that's just not how it works. These tools like Twitter and Facebook, what they what they offer is sort of one-to-many interaction. Now, there's two ways to approach that. This is something that I talk about a little bit in the book and I seem to hit on a lot in speeches, which is uh, there are – Let's just use bands, musical bands, for instance. And there's bands who will stand up in front of an audience in some city and just scream out, hello, Cleveland. And then there's Adele, who is currently very popular and who was playing at the Royal Albert Hall in London and was very honored to be there. And she just kept in between every song. She would talk to the audience as if they were her girlfriends. Very intimate, very one-on-one, very eye contact with the people she could see in the audience. And the difference is if you show up on a place like Twitter and you you address your fans, then that's all the fans are going to feel like are fans. They're going to feel like those that those people formerly known as the audience and now even you know more cattle-like. But if you introduce and interact with people on a one-to-one basis and if you connect with people in very meaningful ways via these platforms, then you don't have fans. You have loyalists. You have people that would pretty much take a bullet. And the real goal is that if you, the more you can be helpful to the community that you have the pleasure to serve, the more you can do cool stuff. And what's different between Twitter and Facebook and all of these older technologies that came before it is that you can now do this in a very visible way that encourages a lot more interaction. And that's the real opportunity because from there, you can get some scale back. You know, you can have sort of one-to-many types of experiences. And that's what I observe all day. When I watch companies that are doing interesting things, what I'm mostly seeing are those kind of extraneous experiences where they can still really help. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. If you just joined us today, we are talking to Chris Brogan, CEO of Human Business Works, author of Impact Equation. And we'll be right back with Chris. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. 
www.thepowerhouse.com. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoon will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Back to the show. We are talking to Chris Brogan today, CEO of Human Business Works, author of Impact Equation, and co-author Trust Agents. He is just outstanding, innovative, and you're really going to learn a lot from his as we talk about this. Now, I was starting to tell Chris at break about what I went through when, you know, I'd had these ongoing fainting spells, and I went to the doctor, and he misdiagnosed what was wrong, and one evening I'm with my husband at a movie theater, and I had a seizure, and I hit the floor so hard I fractured my skull, had a brain hemorrhage, was rushed to the hospital, had life-saving brain surgery, and this is what got me on this road. That happened in 1985. Bender Consulting has been in operation since 1995, but that is what I do, what I do, which as Yoshiko Dart knows, I am on a crusade for the employment of people with disabilities. So, Chris, as you just heard, this is what I'm all about, employment and empowerment. And as a matter of fact, just today, this morning as a matter of fact, I on a volunteer basis for the past 12 years, what I do is I teach high school students with disabilities about the world of work and empowerment because many of them are brutally bullied every day, so, you know, I want to help empower them to help others. But 
I know that you share with your readers that you are living with depression, which, by the way, I really appreciate you doing this because just like me with epilepsy, that's part of who I am, but that doesn't define me, But nor am I ashamed. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, what, what made you disclose this? What, why did you do that? Well, I think not unlike yourself, I really want to point out to people that it's sort of a yes yes and experience i my dealing with depression by the way which is you know uh, in some ways it's it's really horrible in other ways it's it's so much less of a challenge i mean that's the worst thing that we can ever do is compare disabilities but it's it's you know there's a lot of people dealing with a lot more and you know i just got off an interview myself with a gentleman named john morrow who's who was born with spinal muscular atrophy which is fairly similar to what stephen hawking is dealing with and I think his challenges are quite quite much more than mine because he's uh, paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, but when one's depressed, I mean, it really paints the world in a dark way and you just don't want to do anything. And so by sharing that I have depression, one of the things I wanted to do is make other people kind of come forward and, and, and kind of own their own challenges with it. But second, I also wanted to you know gently slap wrists and say, yeah, but you can't use it as an excuse. It's yes and. I have depression and I still have to be great. Oh, yeah. That is a good way of saying it because, sadly, many people are afraid to disclose that they're living with a disability, no matter what it is, from epilepsy to uh, depression to MS to I don't care what it is. I have one young man, he will not disclose he has hemophilia because, you know, he has to get tested regularly uh, and knows that this would impact him. So it's just a stigma that exists. People are afraid to talk about it. And one of the main reasons is because of what I just alluded to, because they feel they won't get a job. But they, and that's true, because we have the highest unemployment in the United States. But many people, many, many live with depression, but there is such a stigma attached to depression and epilepsy that people are afraid to talk about it. And I wondered if you could give any advice to these young people that I'm working with, because actually many of them do have depression or personality disorder or bipolar disorder. Um, but, you know, it seems that people with psychiatric disabilities, you know, are more ashamed to talk about it. So do you have any advice for young people? It's a really good question, and, and I guess the first thing I want to say is that, of course, your mileage will vary. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that things can go down, and you just never really know uh, how your circumstance might be different than someone else's. But, I mean, first off, if ever you're getting kind of pushed for for being you know, a, a person with disability, there's a lot of groups that, that can help with that sort of thing, and I'm sure, Joyce, you deal with that so much more. Um, but the other thing I would say is, uh, if you were if you were interested in disclosing that information, and if you know you don't think that it, uh, I don't know. I, I it's a it's a very difficult question for me to answer because I guess my first thought is, uh, if you disclose, you get a certain amount of coverage and protection from certain organizations. But if you disclose and it's very detrimental to your paycheck, you know, I don't want to make anyone have to eat out of a dumpster because of my decision. But I would say that it's it's a very it's a challenge to decide how you're going to go after that. And I think that it might be better to consult with others uh, before making that choice. Sort of like when they say consult your doctor before trying, I just suppose it's going to be another issue. Well, yeah, because 
I have young people living with disabilities that are so brutally bullied that I've lost some of them to suicide. And that's why I tell them they've got to get their muchness and remember who they are and not be ashamed of who they are uh, because all of them are beautiful and wonderful human beings, you know, and I tell them don't listen to what others are saying to you because you need friends, you need others, you need um Really, you need to get up every day and say what a great person you are. Uh, I know that sounds easy uh, for me to say that, but I always tell them, boy, when you get out of high school, you will look back on high school and say, and I worried about them. I worried about that. What was wrong with me? But, you know, you cannot see that when you are in school. So here we go. We have a Mary from Tampa, Florida. Um, Chris, I did hear that you talked about depression. I just want to commend you and tell you how important that is and what you're doing for parents who have children with depression. And I hope you will keep talking about it because you are making a major difference. Wow. Mary, I, I, I appreciate that kindness. I, I don't see it as closely. I just think that I'm just another voice in the mix. But I would say that with regards to being a parent of somebody with depression, one of the first and most important things for you to know is that anything that seems like it should be the simplest of choices isn't when somebody's depressed. And what seems like it would be the, you know, well, why can't you just do this is a sentence I remember hearing a lot of times in my life. Not, you know, not when I was a kid. My parents are wonderful, but just, you know, even when I'm down and the people around me uh, want to help. The thing is, uh, it's also you can come to some agreements too. You can come to some agreements with your uh, children when you when they're going through their depression that there's going to be behaviors that are okay and behaviors that are not. And if you both kind of sign off on those as a mutual agreement, like a contract or a pact or a, a commitment to each other, then they can voice the things that are hardest for them to deal with when they're down and you can voice the kinds of uh, protections and, and comforts you need because it's just not okay for people to lash out when they're depressed. It's just sometimes that's where it goes. And I think that there can be some ways to work that out. Maybe that's helpful. I don't know. Well, yes, and it's funny that one thing you said is so true because sometimes people go to people, whether it's bipolar or depression, whatever it is, and they'll say, hey, you need to act different. Get over it, as you said. You need to be, you know, you need to have a better attitude. And they have no clue. They have no clue, you know, what the person is going through uh, because it is just another type of disability. And I already told you I have epilepsy and I actually have a hearing loss as a result of that accident that I have. Um, but I wondered if you would mind sharing with those listening right now, how do you feel depression has shaped who you are today? Uh, well, I would say that what it used to do for me is it used to give me a really easy excuse. I used to be able to say, well, you know, I'm depressed. And that would get me out of a lot of things in my own head. I would just sort of make myself that. The other problem is that when you're depressed, you have a lot lower energy. And when, you're de when you have a lot lower energy, you don't really make a, as many good choices or good changes as you could. But I've also learned that some things beget other things. So my choice of food has changed dramatically. Um, learning about the very natural methods of 
uh, treating depression have really changed. I was watching a movie called uh, Food Matters. It's a documentary that I think you can get on Netflix. And what I learned there was, you know, that there's there's some really natural stuff that exists. Niacinamide, for instance, which is part of the B-complex vitamins, is a really great helper for depression. I learned that those lamps that people get for seasonal affective disorder didn't do a thing for me, but they help a lot of people. And I, I just think that there's so much more that we could do and there's so many more actions that we could take in our own treatment. Um, but that other people have to realize that, you know, everyone's different. I mean, my son is on the autistic spectrum. So to, to kind of compare this, he's, he's one of those no name brand autisms. He's, he's one of the ones that doesn't really have any kind of a cluster that makes sense to people because he's highly functional. He's very social in his own choices, uh, but still is quite willing to leave the house without his pants on or whatever. At the same time, he's a video game designer at the age of uh, seven. He's been reading mostly to himself since the age of two and can really uh, sound out very complex words like simultaneously. Um, so what challenges face him are the same challenges as everybody because the minute someone hears autism, they think, oh, I know that, I saw Rain Man, or I know who Temple Grandin is. And to be <laughs> honest, they're all different. You know, everyone's different. Uh, Julian Smith, who co-wrote Trust Agents and Impact Equation with me, suffers from epilepsy. He hasn't had a seizure in a very long time, but I'm pretty sure his epilepsy is different than yours, Joyce. So I, I think that's another challenge that we all have to take on is just remembering that everyone's different, even if they share some things in common. Oh, that is so true. And by the way, you must tell Julian uh, to please feel free to get in touch with me anytime because I also was the national chair of the Epilepsy Foundation. But you are right on when you said that because autism is a huge spectrum. It's totally different with everyone. You know, Walgreen hires a lot of people with disabilities in uh, the distribution area that may have an intellectual disability or significant emotional disability. But the reason they started doing this is Randy Lewis's son has autism. So when he spoke at this event I was at, people kept making comments to him about autism, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Oh, exactly. It's it's the very best way to say it. And, uh, I, you know, I've just never yet, I, I've never found the exception to that rule. I, I've never, like, um, <laughs> one time my son had a play date over at his mom's house uh, with this other boy, and the boy uh, also had autism, but my boy loves video games, and that is his thing. And he lives and breathes and dreams and draws and talks about video games all the time, whether or not you care. Uh, the other boy, his biggest trigger was video games. And so, of course, this play date went to hell right away. So I would say that uh, you couldn't, there couldn't be any better advice than to realize that everybody's different in their own way. Mm-hmm. And you're right, it's like that with epilepsy. Although my seizures have been pretty much controlled, there are children that have hundreds of seizures a day. There are people that have them off and on throughout the year. But there are people that have all different types of seizures. You know, everyone seems to think there's one type, you fall on the ground, you have a convulsion. Actually, that's the smallest percentage of all the other types. But... You know, people don't get that, just as what you said about your son. But just you talking about all of this, I hope you know, also helps other parents and children uh, with autism. 
So my executive vice president of operations, Mary Brocker, is part of your brave New Year family. I know she talks about this all the time, um, and she is always living her three words, serve, train, impact, and she tells everyone about this. The opposite of bravery isn't fear, it's surrender. So I wondered if you would share with our listeners what that's about. What, what is Brave New Year? So Brave New Year is a, a course that I started and put together, and it's uh, it's about eight weeks, and it's you can go to hbway.com slash bny to actually read over my shoulder. But it's a, it's a course where people can really understand what it's going to take to be the superhero they've been waiting for. And the reason I, I put it that way, you're the superhero you've been waiting for, is that a lot of times we're still kind of waiting on somebody else to fix us or somebody else to tag, to tag us on the shoulder and say, it's our turn to be remarkable. And really, no one's coming to save you. You have to do it yourself, no matter what. And so in the course, over the eight weeks, we talk about confidence, we talk about acceptance, uh, permission, and also how to do better with execution, because those four things make up your cape. And even though I think it's not about the tights, uh, you do need sort of a cape to build uh, your own uh, persona and make yourself take on the world. I think that the challenges that face us a lot is that we think we're not good enough or we're not worthy or such and such. And what I really think is that um, we just haven't taken into our own heads that we're the one who can solve our own problems and that we're the guru that we've been waiting for. And so this eight-week kind of course that also has this online community and hundreds of people kind of interacting with each other and helping even more has sprung up from this. And it's a real good opportunity for anyone who wants to take on uh, the challenges that they think are keeping them from getting to the next level. Boy, that is so awesome. That That is great. Great advice. And uh, so, again, could you give us that again? How do they go to that? Oh, sure. So it's it, the small URL to it is hbway, like humanbusinessway.com slash bny for Brave New Year. And that's pretty easy to, to show up. There's all kinds of video and audio. And uh, I wrote an ebook that I sell on Amazon that I give away as part of the course. And also now I made it, I recorded an audio book for it as well because it seemed like that would be a good thing to have too. Yeah, that's good. That, that's especially good for people uh, that work in this world who are part of the uh, community of people who are blind. So that's really awesome that you, you know, that you did that. Okay, well, I let me see here. Oh, we got so many questions uh, for you. Okay, here is a Sandy from Nebraska uh, saying to you, you know, Chris, I don't think you realize how what you do is so beneficial in more ways than just in the business world. My question for you is, do you have advice for young people aspiring to move into a career with technology uh, or working with social media? Uh, what, what advice would you have for them? Oh, what a great question. Um, what I find is that to, to pursue a computer science degree would be folly. Uh, I'll tell you an example from my own personal experience. I, ha I was forced to take this course in one of the colleges I attended, and 
they were trying to teach me, this is a long time ago, so don't anybody giggle too loudly, but they were trying to teach me how to put a floppy into the floppy drive. Midway through this absolutely brain-numbing experience of listening to an instructor tell me this, I had a phone call on my cell phone. This is back when few people had them. And I had to lean out to the back part of the room and explain to somebody how to restore uh, a very large data storage device, which was multi-millions of dollars in that fit in a giant room. And so essentially what I was doing was the equivalent of teaching someone how to put a floppy in a floppy drive, except for a very vast, giant, expensive computer. And that's when I realized there's no way that I'm going to ever learn what I need to know about technology or media or anything, specifically from a college. To have done it again, what I would probably uh, recommend people follow if they want to get into media and things like that, with technology, it's probably good to learn some uh, electronic engineering type stuff because it's good to understand how the machines still do what they do. And it's never too soon or too uh, early to start learning some programming languages. And it really kind of doesn't matter which ones. Uh, but with regards to media and marketing and business and all the stuff I've learned there, uh, journalism, law, and psychology are the three types of projects and programs that I would get involved in because humans don't change a great deal. How we interact with our environment is what changes. And so if even you had a sociology degree, you'd be so much further ahead than learning the principles of marketing from someone who's probably never had to sell anything and who's teaching out of a book that's 20 years old. Well, I would consider that really good advice, and I'm sure there are those that are chuckling about the floppy disk. Oh, I hope so. What a good example, though. What a good example that that was. And you know what? I think that what you said that's really great is the people part. You know, the people part, the understanding of people is so important uh, in business and marketing and really in so many different areas, being an entrepreneur, whatever it is, because that's... Hey, that's who you're dealing with every day, and people are people, and that's just the way it is. So I think that's good advice. Well, as I alluded to, many of my listeners listening to the show today know that I am uh, the chair of the American Association of People with Disability, which is the largest cross-disability group in the United States and headquartered in Washington, D.C., and we were so excited that President Obama sent a video uh, and spoke to us at the gala, uh, the AAPD gala, and it's always, you know, just a wonderful, wonderful event that we just had, you know, this past week. But one of the initiatives I started was stopping bullying because, as I said earlier, so many young people with disabilities are brutally bullied every single day. And I always tell them about the most recent Alice in Wonderland movie where Alice is 19 and goes back to Wonderland and meets uh, the Mad Hatter, who is Johnny Depp, saying, Alice, Alice, you can save us. Alice, you can help us. The Queen of Hearts is destroying Wonderland. And every time he says this, she says, no, 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 I can't, no, no, I won't be able to. And he says, yes, you can, Alice, no, 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 I can't. And this is when he walks over, taps her on the uh, shoulder and says, Alice, you've lost your muchness. And actually, that's a word, and guess who wrote it? Shakespeare, quality of extent of believing, 
And this is why I tell young people, get back your muchness. You know, when you were little and you dreamed you could be all these things, and then someone started telling you, no, you can't be those things, and you listened. You've got to get back your muchness. So kids in school right now that have people spitting on them or, you know, cyberbullying, saying, why don't you die? You're ugly. You're weird. I mean, you know, I have one young man that I did lose that was so important to me, and kids used to hit him in the head and say, come on, you have epilepsy, let's see a seizure. And he attempted suicide twice, but sadly he succeeded the third time. Uh, Chris, what advice do you have for young people listening to you right now? Oh, my gosh. Uh, for any young person, whoever has been in that boat, uh, I was one of the least popular kids in high school. I moved from a school in Maine where everybody I felt loved me to a school where I had no friends. I kind of had half a friend. He would be my friend when other people weren't around. But if anyone saw us, he wouldn't be my friend anymore. Uh, and then somewhere in senior year, I got marginally popular because I was writing weird stories. And I think they just kind of liked the weirdness in me. Uh but now I'm pretty darn successful, and I've had the opportunity to – I spent time with a princess in Abu Dhabi a few months ago, and I interviewed Sir Richard Branson, one of the most successful men in the world, and got a cover article in a magazine a short while back. I've met billionaires, and I've met very interesting and important people from all walks of life. I'll tell you this. The weirder that I am now, the more people accept me and appreciate me for what I am. I talk on huge stages in front of thousands of people about things like poop. So everything that makes you seem unlikable, everything that makes you seem unimportant, everything that everyone's teasing you about right now will be your most superpower later on once you've gotten past that stupid moment in life, which is, you know, school and that sense that everyone needs to be the same and that we have to all be the same human. The other thing to tell you is this. When you learn how not to be afraid of how people perceive you, and I know that's huge. This is the biggest thing. When you learn how not to be afraid of how people perceive you, you gain a lot of space in your brain for absorbing what's best in everybody else around you. And when you're not really trying to prove anything anymore, you can learn a lot. And honestly, the hardest thing to do in life is to pity those people who are bullying you. But the people who are bullying you are the ones who are the most broken. You're the one who's actually going to succeed. So... It's a waiting game, and I, and I don't know any better way to make the waiting go easier, except that if I could time travel back you know, from your future, I would tell you that it's going to be a lot better than what's going on in your crappy life right now, and you just have to wait it out. Wow. I'll tell you what. You need to blog about that because just hearing about you would inspire so many others. Because just today, one of the uh, young people with a disability told me how they're constantly telling he's weird, he's a geek, he's stupid. I mean, and he isn't stupid. He um, does video games, which you were talking about before. But, you know, now here you are, which you would be like superhero to him. So I will say to all of you listening to the show, look at this man, how successful he is. And... Chris Brogan has your back. Is that right, Chris? I do. I'm there. He has your back. Um, and so, you know, what a great role model for others. So, Chris, I have a couple last questions before I ask you my last questions. And one is, I guess, not a question. It's from a Cindy in Los Angeles. And she says, Chris, um, I know who you are. 
I know how famous you are, and I just wanted to thank you for taking time to be on Joyce's show because, trust me, it makes a difference. Well, thank you, Cindy, in Los Angeles, and I appreciate that. I don't consider my fam- myself famous because I'm pretty sure I can go to any Starbucks and shout out, do you know who I am? And pretty much everyone will say no. So I'm, I'm safe for now. <laughs> well, okay, people are listening to the show right now. How do they get your newsletter, and how do they secure you as a speaker or connect with any of your programs? Well, really, I, I mean, A begets B, because if you join in and connect with my newsletter, you'll decide whether or not you think I'm the right guy for the job. So maybe just swing by chrisbrogan.com. It's the easiest one to remember. Or the same place would be hbway.com slash nl for newsletter. It's actually the best thing I do every single week. It's where I connect with the most heart and share the best stuff. So I'd love for you to join up. And Joyce, thanks for asking me that question. Oh, I think you can help. You're already helping just being on this show today in your words. And trust me, when I speak across the country to young students with disabilities being bullied, you will be one of my examples of look where you are today. Look what happened. And as you said, what may be perceived as your innovative weirdness may be the innovation that takes you so far in your life. So I'm, I'm really appreciative of you being on the show. Um, Chris, I actually have a question for you. Uh, who, who would you say, who was your role model? Who had this impact on you that caused you to be able to deal with all of this and, and become so successful? You know, it's never been just one person. I was blessed with something that not everyone gets. I have two parents who are wonderful and who love the hell out of me. And they have always said since I was very little that I will be amazingly successful. I have no, they had really no proof of, as to why, except that they just could sense my, in my attitude that that would be true. So I'm very blessed with that. But if you don't have that, you still can't make that an excuse. You have to say, okay, I don't have amazing parents. And you can adopt some parents. You don't have to adopt the ones who adopted you. You can find your own parents. There's millions of parents in the universe, billions. Um, beyond that, I learned from everybody from Les Brown, who wrote a really great book called Live Your Dreams. He was uh, identified as educably mentally retarded very early on and thought that's what he should be. And then he went on to prove that totally wrong, become a DJ and a very popular motivational speaker. And then he held some uh, public offices. I went from Les Brown to Anthony Robbins, who I once recently got a chance to hang out with and be interviewed for a project of his. So that was interesting, meeting someone who I was once quite motivated by, and instead he was asking me for thoughts. Um, and then Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So I kind of went on this journey from you know, one motivational person to another. And you don't need a lot of money to go on that journey. You can go to your library and find books by these people. And I think that, you know, my my current role model right now is Sir Richard Branson, who, amongst other things that he's done, he wrote a really great book about how we need to be a lot more uh, philanthropic and a lot more cause-minded. And his book was called Screw Business as Usual, wherein which he really sets out a model for how we have to really think of the whole planet uh, in a much more holistic way and still be wealthy. And this man runs 400 companies and lives on his own island. So he's a pretty good role model. Wow. That, that is great. That is also, I love that philosophy because I am all about pay it forward. I am, you know, I've always 
live this way because, well, it's just how I am. But it's not just time, it's what I believe. And, and, and it really is, it makes a difference. Like our theme for the year at Bender this year, we have a theme every year, and then every month I send a quote out. And our theme this year is humility, you know, and I am one that believes that that's one of the things that makes such a difference because every time you start thinking, if you start thinking you're all that, I assure you you're not. So um, I believe in that. It is so inspirational to hear that someone as brilliant and as wealthy and successful as Sir Richard Branson would, would, would have a book like that. And, and I'll tell you, when I had the opportunity to meet him, it was via Skype. I, I would love to have said I hung out with him over tea or something. But um, I, I'll tell you that the, the most successful people I've ever met in the world are those who actually ask about you and who come forward and, and really want to engage with you. The first thing Sir Richard said to me after I closed my mouth again from gawking and smiling was, is everything okay? Are you comfortable? Are you ready? Do you need anything from me that I can be helpful? And he asked me about my business. This is a man who owns 400 plus companies and he was asking me about my little you know, three-person shop. So it was definitely a, a lesson that I've learned is that the most successful people are always the most gracious and the people that act like you're wasting their time are usually the people who are most afraid of losing everything. No, it's not the truth. Well, Chris, obviously you're very successful and you've accomplished so much at a young age, but at this point in your life, what, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? Oh, my gosh. Uh, birthing two children that still speak to me. I think that's probably a good accomplishment. Uh, beyond that, I would say that I have somehow managed to craft a life where I can choose to be helpful to as many people as I can every day and and be in love with that process. So I really think that, you know, when one can be in service is when one is their most successful. Oh, well, too bad everyone doesn't feel like that. And would you say, let me ask you, do you think you learned that from your parents? Oh, my parents are always those people that, you know, if the kids in the neighborhood didn't have a lot to eat, my parents didn't have more money than any of them, but they still fed them. And my parents have always been, you know, exceptionally helpful. I, my parents are very active now online, and they're they're going around to these events that I normally go to and whatnot. And I keep saying you shouldn't do that because then people are going to realize that I'm not all that amazing. I'm just your kid, because they're astounding. <laughs> well, that you can tell by how you are. Well, Chris, first of all, before I ask you this last question, I want to say how much I appreciate you being on the show today. Um, and, you know, there isn't anything greater, anything, than saving a life. And just those words of inspiration for young people with disabilities who, may I say, get horrifying, horrifying emails on cyberspace and everywhere else. Um, thank you so much. Joyce, it was an utter pleasure. And for every, you know, time someone tells you something you didn't really ask for it's unsolicited smile politely and say thanks crazy person and just go back to what you were doing <laughs> well what message would you like to leave with our listeners today uh, the thing that's made me even vaguely successful, if you want to call it that, is just being helpful. Um, a lot of times we're the most nervous when we think that we're not going to survive. 
but really honestly, the way through it every single time, including the way through my depression, is helping other people. While we're having this you know, conversation, Joyce, I've been working on trying to help these uh, kids in San Diego with special needs put, put on a prom. And all I keep thinking is every day I'm depressed, I just work harder on getting uh, more money into this cause so that they can get their work done. Wow. Well, you know, kudos to you. And as I said again, I really appreciate you being with us. You're a wonderful person, a giving person. And I want to remind you I'm talking to Chris Brogan, CEO of Human Business Works, author of Impact Equation. Download the book. Check out his website. What a great person to get involved with. And you know, Chris, we end every show with a quote. And today, and we have done this for 12 years, and today the quote is an Arabic proverb, and boy, it just so fits what we've been talking about. And it is this. If you have much, give of your wealth. If you have little, give of your heart. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader in Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.